We wake up, we go out, smoke a fag, and we put it out. How are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? This is Remember the First Time. I'm Mark Rawson. I'm Paul Falls. And I'm Charlotte Pearson. And by darn God, is it good to be back. Sorry that we've left you in limbo for so long. A whole eight months we were just discussing. But who cares? If you remember the first time, I remember the first time, we're going to go all over and do it again. Good to uh, chat with you both. There seems to have been a big change in the world, in the modern world, let's say. This isn't 1995 at the minute, we're still in 2020. So we're recording this remotely, so uh, we can't see each other. And if things go wrong, you're just going to have to put up with us. But how are you both? Yeah, good, thank you. Not too bad considering. I've started whittling. <laughs> You've started whittling? What, what's, what's whittling? No, I mean, I'm just, you know, making bits of big wood into bits of little wood. Maybe I am stressed and worried as well. <laughs> Oh dear! No one, no one wants you say that. that. No one wants that. Want that. <laughs> they certainly do. They certainly do. Have you always been a keen wooden spoon carver? <laughs> oh yeah, it's, since I was a child, it's my first memory. <laughs> is it? Is it? I bet you remember doing it well in about ninety-five. <laughs> well, I would have been about nine years old. You would have been about nine years old. How old were you, Charlotte? Four. You've and aged. You. You've aged since we last spoke. <laughs> yeah. And you would have been what? Thirty six. <laughs> I'm thirty six now. Oh, right. Sorry. No, I'm not. I'm thirty five. I'm thirty five now. What am I talking about? I'm not even thirty six yet. <laughs> I'm thirty five now. Uh, yeah, May fifteenth of May, nineteen ninety five. I was eleven. Wow. Eleven still. I haven't aged since the last one yet. Um, but yeah, 15th of May 1995 was a big day in uh, some youngsters' world, Supergrass. They uh, released their debut album, I Should Coco. Oof, it's a bit I, of a beauty, I, isn't it? I really it? like it. Um, it's, it's the first time I've ever actually listened to the album in full. I've listened to lots of, well, lots of other Supergrass albums in full, but this is the first one. Well, this is the first time that I've listened to this one in full, which I, I really I had, wow. And clearly, I hadn't. Ah, yeah. nice. Well, I I do remember. I don't remember the album the first time around. I'm not even going to pretend that. I remember Supergrass around that time though, just because of All Right, because All Right was huge, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. But that wasn't my first awareness of them, really. That. Oh, mine was. It was It was them running down the beach like they do on the video. I swear, I think that is my earliest memory of Supergrass. See, I've... And I think that, I think I thought at the time as well, I was like, I want my name on a T-shirt. <laughs> we, we can make that happen if you want, Mark. Oh, we should make yeah. that happen. <laughs> and, and some other words as well. Definitely, definitely. Mark, Mark is yeah. cool. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> they were, but they became Supergrass after after being originally known as Theodore Supergrass. I love the fact that it was f- meant to be fronted by a cartoon character called Theodore Supergrass, but just because of the costs of creating the animations, uh, that they dropped the idea. <laughs> I love the fact that they were just like, yeah, we're with Theodore Supergrass, we're fronted by a cartoon character. They've always had that kind of weird, slightly bonkers side. And I wonder if maybe like some of that has unconsciously influenced Damon Albarn with Gorillas. 
I'm sure there's loads of other things, but you know they must have come into contact with him at some point and said we were going to be a cartoon band, but we couldn't afford it. Damon Albarn was like, "Oh, that sounds like a good idea. I'll steal that." Essentially, <laughs> have you just have you? Uh, where's your theory in this? Where? where how? Wild have you just pieced together mark. yourself? That's theory. <laughs> oh, I like it. Yeah, the best type of theory is always wild it, speculation. I love it. Hearsay, wild speculation, and just coincidence. They're both British bands, and no, I think that, they, that's enough for me. I think Hearsay were like around in the no, 90s. Yeah, that's yeah. not allowed on this show. <laughs> Stop it. We don't go no. that far. Someone save us from the show. <laughs> Pull it back. Yeah. Bring some actual. Okay, I'm going to tell you my favourite thing then um, about that I've found out since researching this album. After seeing their video for All Right back in 95, Steven Spielberg was interested in creating a TV show about the lives of Supergrass. How incredible would that have been? Depends how interesting they are as people. I yeah, guess. that's what I was going to say. Like, it does kind of depend on. I mean, if they're talking about the lives of Supergrass, like Mick Quinn was a new father, so his life involved sleep deprivation and nappies. <laughs> yeah, and the other two had been working yeah. in Harvester, so. What, a free salad bar? That's not exactly like the most exciting. It, it's not the Twilight Zone, is it? It's not like Band of Brothers. We're not talking HBO. No, but how mad is it that just after seeing one video, Steven Spielberg's like, yeah, this could be a TV show. I like I kind it. of feel like it was, he was mad on power having created DreamWorks and he was just like, yeah, now, now we'll do that now. It's a bit like how Netflix, the joke is that you can just send them anything and they'll turn it into a TV show. Well, we have to. <laughs> Are you not? Are you not looking forward to the mockumentary on Remember the First? <laughs> It'll absolutely be a mockumentary as well. It definitely would. It definitely <laughs> would. But yeah, I just that, that just blew my mind. Anyway, uh, one thing that I have noticed a lot in the early footage of Supergrass, and when I've seen them myself, and I must admit I didn't see them until the noughties, that we mentioned Mick Quinn being an early father. I wasn't aware of this, but to me that sums up a lot because. He doesn't look like he wants to be there. <laughs> the other guys, Danny and Gaz, look like they are having a whale of the time, all the time. Mick Quinn, when he's playing live in particular, he is, he is bored. He is somewhere else in Probably his head. Probably asleep, trying to catch up on some sleep. <laughs> I wonder if that's just, maybe that's just like resting bassist face, though, like. Alex Jones used to always look like he didn't really care to be there. I mean, that's probably because Alex Jones yeah. maybe had had a lot of chemicals, not just cheese-based ones. But nonetheless, bassists like drummers are kind of usually in a world of their own. They're either the crazy bassist or the like really boring bassist, aren't yeah. they? Yeah, like I mean, think about like Serge from Kasabian. He's I, I, wait, is he the guitarist He's or the guitarist. drummer? I, I would think was crazy bassist. He's a guitarist. Yeah, Red Hot Chili Peppers. He's yeah. a bit bonkers. Yeah. The girl yeah. from Heim who pulls the bass face as well. She she's quite crazy. Yeah. She's a crazy bassist. And yet on the other side, you've got <laughs> people that just like like Mick Quinn that just don't want to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well you, know, you say you don't want to be there. They were... It's just a mood. Yeah. It's his aura, maybe, just when he's <laughs> on stage. Yeah. But the, I would say, arguably, like, you can't all be centre stage, you can't, you know, not everyone gets to be the front man. And, you know, Gaz Coombs is a good front man, I think. I think he's he put a lot of energy into his performance and he's a bit of a caricature of 
uh, a front man. So why try and compete? Why not just do your own thing? Definitely. No, I agree. I agree. But yeah, what do we think of the album? Uh, do we? Uh, what? What? What's your feeling towards the tracks? What are you? Uh, I, which are your favourites? What's? I um. I think. I think the album's. I think <laughs> to use an old football analogy, it's a game of two halves. And I think the start of the album is so much stronger than the latter half. And I just think... I could not agree more. I, I think they front-loaded it. And I think it's the kind of the, the standard for 90s albums to front-load it with all the strongest singles. Uh, the, well, the, all the strongest tracks that inevitably become the singles. But yeah, I there was a couple of times when I found myself just thinking, it's getting a bit samey. I don't know about you guys, what you thought. I know Charlotte would. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was a lot of the tracks seemed to be quite similar. I agree with what you were saying, Paul, in the fact that like the front of the album is really energetic and it's quite punky uh, in the sort of like the way that it sounds. But then you move into the end of the album and it's kind of like they've run out of steam a little bit. There's a couple of good songs on the end of the album, like Time, I quite liked a lot. Um, but I think really the first maybe six, seven tracks are good and then the rest aren't so good. Yeah, I agree. I think up to Lenny is fantastic. It's You literally could not get a better start to uh, an album. Then it really starts to tail off. I'm, I'm with Charlotte on time. Fantastic song. But I also really love Sofa of My Lethargy as well. I really enjoy that. I think it's just like from sort of strange ones I'm not the biggest fan of, and I know a lot of Supergrass fans love strange ones, but like sitting up straight, she's so loose. I'm not a fan of those Do you know what I'm going to tell you about uh, Sofa of My Lethargy? Do you know what song it is? Mm. What it wants to be? And this is going to ruin this for you, Mark. Oh, don't, because I really, really enjoy the song. (laughs) Sofa of Lethargy is just Octopus's Garden. It is. It's got such a similar melody. I know there's the organ in there. I know there's the organ in there. It it just seems as though Supergrass have a real love for Beatles songs written by Ringo Starr. And you're just like, of all the Beatles (laughs) that you could really ape and love, you've chosen Ringo Starr. Like, I don't understand (laughs) it. Like, there's, what else? There's another one that I'm just like, we're not supposed to be. It's, it just sounds like everyone doing their best Ringo Starr impression. Even the vocal delivery sounds a bit <laughs> like him. I just, I don't know. It's And I think it's part of the fact that that one's the one that's sped up and it just feels really immature. And in a sense, I get why it's sped up. I think it's meant to be from the perspective of, perspective of a child finding the first love. But I just, I found it, for want of a word, a better phrase, I found it crap. <laughs> it's, it's, it just seems like you you could you're producing some really nicely orchestrated music, not orchestrated in the sense that they all have strings on, but just the the structure of them. There's some really nicely structured songs on there, and then that is we're not supposed to be. Is just I really dislike it. Yeah, I'm I'm not its biggest fan either. But so far, I'm even even well, maybe even more so. May have mentioned Octopus's Garden. I uh, <laughs> I am a big fan of uh, Sofa. I just love the the organ mm. on it. It's just got that feel that makes me want to sit back on a sofa and relax, possibly in the same way that Supergrass tended to. Do you not think though? Towards the end of that track, I mean, it's 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 nearly six minutes twenty long. It's too long for a start, but yeah, 
Yeah, I do think it's a touch. The last minute and a half to two minutes, you suddenly realise that they've decided to become a Black Crows tribute act because of all the Hammond Dogan, <laughs> and you're just going, oh, mate, stop it. Just cut it, cut it back. And it's, it's the good old-fashioned issue of 90s albums having tracks on them that are just a bit too long. Like, I'd like to know is a really yep. great opener, personally, but it is a little bit too long. Yep. I just think it could be, you know, contracted a bit. Well, when we when we uh, when we sent the message round that we were getting the band back together for Remember the First Time, I went out and I walked my dog and I listened to this album because I was so excited. And I, oh, I, you should have seen the smile on my face as I was walking around the woods listening to this song going mad. It's a good job. Have, anybody who saw me would genuinely would have thought that I would have cracked under lockdown. <laughs> I was just going to say it's a good job you had the dog with you, otherwise you would have looked a bit bonkers. <laughs> Yeah, I would have done. I would have done, but oh, I had the biggest smile on my face. It, I, it was making me smile that much. It made me laugh because I was laughing at myself at how ridiculous I must look. Are you okay, Mark? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay, then. So, favourite tracks Favorite tracks on the album. What are you calling for? Um, favourite tracks? Go for it, Charlotte. Um, I think for me, probably Time is the best track on the album. Um and the my other favorite track is probably just all right, just because it's a good song, and you can't argue with it. I definitely couldn't argue with that. I love the solo in all right. I uh, yeah, I I agree. I think that's really good. Um, I think all right is a bit of a it's a statement of intent, but uh, I'll, I'll go into this later about like the the period, the age they were when they wrote it. But nonetheless, I think probably. I like Caught by the Fuzz. It's it's short, it's to the point, it's got a great hook to it, it's universal and it's it, it's universal some of the songs I think cover areas of life that have become either familiar over time or weren't necessarily the most unique things to write about in the first place. Like I don't know, um sitting up straight uh, the singing about the mundanity of life and being on the bus and how everyone's basically matchstick men. It's been written about since pop songs were being made, so I, it, it doesn't feel like they're bringing anything new to it. But caught by the fuzz feels no. it feels visceral, and it, and obviously it's autobiographical from Gaz Coombs, but that just makes it feel more mm. lived in because it was lived in. That that for me is something that I really appreciate. Yeah, it's got a real it's got a real naivety to it, hasn't it? A real fear in there. It's not just the oh, I was really cool. I got I got arrested by the police when I was young. It was a oh, I was actually shooting yeah, myself. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. I like that about it. It's got realism to it. Um, I tell you what, I didn't know it was uh, produced by Sam Williams, who has gone on to produce um, a lot of things by the Go Team. And actually, if you listen to "Lose It" on I Should Coco, the the way that he produces the percussion, the drums, it becomes really obvious that the Go Team has been produced by the same guy. It's it's really. It's, it's yeah. not. It's, it's really garage bandy and, and sounds raw, which is the way that Dan uh, Dan Goffey it does his recording. It, it, but it's great. Definitely, I love I love Danny Goff's uh, Goffey's recording. I love his drumming. It sounds like he's playing the drums while he's running down the stairs. <laughs> Don't you think? That's what I think every time I hear him play the drums. I love it. <laughs> there is a there's a real manic energy to all all the percussion on it. But I, I think that. I think that kind of goes through all all the all the more upbeat tracks. His drumming kind of pushes 
the the melody forward and, and it brings them together and really pushes the energy. It does. One of my one of my favourite tracks on the album is Man's Size Rooster, and I think the drumming and exactly what you just said really holds that together from the intro. Onwards. It's real, really musical that track, though. It sounds like it sounds like it's a B side to a Madness single. <laughs> oh, there's some huge Madness Madness influences throughout. Well, speaking the album. of influences, who do you, who do you guys think are the biggest influences on them that you can hear clearly from uh, listening to the debut? Marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I was thinking more musical. I know, I know, Paul. What do you reckon, Charlotte? Well, talking about Man Size Rooster, actually, when I listened to it, it reminded me of Hitching a Ride by Green Day. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's just like that kind of like weird carnivalesque, bit like chaotic sort of vibe. Yeah, that, that musical. That, which feel. I guess, again, yeah. madness, but still that's kind of what it reminded me of. I, I get that. Yeah, I think it's got a lot of I think it's got a lot of two step type stuff in there. It feels like it's got got that vibe going on. It's certainly got madness in there. I'd say there's a load of there's a load of T Rex and Mark Bolan in there on all on all the album on yeah. all the tracks. Sorry, um, a lot of Bowie obviously as well. Like Time, Charlotte's favorite is really 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 glam and. A lot of buzzcocks and a lot of the undertones. I think there's loads of that kind of slightly poppier punk sound to it, um, and a lot of a lot of the Who and a lot of more the latter day Beatles. Like I say stuff like um, stuff like any track that Ringo Starr wrote um, that's on the later albums by the Beatles. So again, that sofa bar, sofa of my lethargy. Um, I can I feel like it's that more experimental side. And again, you saying that they took a lot of weed, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> Exploring their minds. But it, it, it seems like it's a bit of a greatest hits of rock icons from the last sort of 40, 30, 40 years. And why not? Like, they've never been shy to say who their influences are. But it, may, it I find it interesting that bands like... Um, bands like Oasis that were very much going for, like, the kind of the who... And the early, harder Beatles sound, the more classic rock and roll sound. It's not; they're kind of accepted. It's it's acknowledged that that they took a load of influence from the Beatles. Yet, Supergrass, people seem to never really take them as seriously. And I wonder why, whether that's because of All Right being such an overwhelming song that it kind of made them seem almost like a, a one hit wonder for a short period of time. Maybe just during that. Mm, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting you say that. It's that like, all right was so big, and it's still played so much now on the right type of radio stations, etc. In the right type of clubs, it's it's still played a hell of a lot. All right is, but it's it's interesting you say that about them being almost considered a one hit wonder for a short period of time. It feel it feels to me like supergraphs. You're comparing them to, say, Oasis at the time. Now, Oasis, obviously, they have so many, like, uber fans. They're idolised by so many people. But Supergrass just aren't. Do you know anybody whose Supergrass is their favourite band? Or was their favourite band? No. No, and, and yet... You, and <laughs> you I know grew, what I mean? You and I grew up together. And I, mean, I love them. <laughs> yeah. Like, even Supergrass themselves, they're, I remember buying... Um, one their greatest hits DVD, which had all the videos on it, and on the cover, 
it had like buttons because they were obviously they were seen as quite a studenty band, and the bun- the cover had yeah, buttons Supergrass on it. Supergrass is ten. Been like Supergrass, everyone's fa- second favorite band. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. It's it's everybody. No one dislikes them, and no one. I'm sure. Well, I'm not saying no one, but I, I, I don't think anyone's like, oh, they're rubbish. Yeah, no one's but ever said that they they're hate just, Supergrass. They're not that. Yeah, yeah, but they're just not in that favourite band category. They're like like what the Coral went on to be. Yeah, no, I think that's a good comparison. Yeah, they're very much underrated but appreciated. And the kind of yeah. band that if you're yeah, playing fantastic. live at a festival, you go, oh, yeah, learn, no, let's go see them. And you know who I think another equivalent is today? Kaiser Chiefs, personally. personally. Exactly. And I know a lot of people have issues with Kaiser Chiefs, but they churn out hit after hit, and they do good live shows and they've got that same energy to them i would say yeah yeah i can i can see that comparison certainly i can see that comparison but i, I see i see kaiser chiefs as a best of band whereas i know and enjoy a hell of a lot of supergrass albums because I, I i think i love how their musical style um changes through periods of time and through through albums as they've all got their own unique feel to them and uh up right up until what was the last one wrote of um can't remember the name of the last album it was one that I right up to that they, they, that didn't change and into gas Coombs solo career as well all of his stuff it, it has its own sound and uh, I think yeah. Ash of Coco is just like that launch onto the scene. It's that big explosion to catch everybody's attention, but they never really repeated it. Well, I mean, speaking of the scene, they're from Oxford, and during that period, there was a bit of a, a renaissance of the Oxford music scene because not what not only was there yeah. Supergrass, but there'd been the previous success of. Uh, of of ride and and Radiohead as well were starting to really break out as well. They were okay. So how do you think it captures the time? So we're talking nineteen ninety five. Ashikoko. Do you think it's it sits in with uh, other albums around that time? Around the feeling of the public at that time. It's a very positive time to be in Britain. I think uh, Ashikoko. Um, sort of captures that i think all right does i think that really like hits the mm. nail on the head of that and even now it's still like a good party tune and it kind of makes you remember the good old days <laughs> and that sort of thing but i don't know about whether the whole album captures that time i mean fair enough i was only four so mm. i can't really remember what happened in 1995 <laughs> but um yeah i don't know i don't know if the whole album does capture what was going on I would say, see, I would say, agreeing with Charlotte for the most part, that I don't think it actually does capture the zeitgeist in the way that, I know, um, different class or uh, definitely maybe does. I think because it wears its influences and it's not as, um, it's not as obviously... English in its in its writing, I don't think it necessarily captures a particular period, and I agree that I think all right, it became a bit of a a cultural moment, but that song was not written about eighteen to 
20 something year olds that song was written by 13 and 14 year olds about being and they're just having fun and i think that's that's one thing that kind of is a little bit ironic the whole the song itself was actually written originally from the perspective of someone in the late 80s so you know when you think about it that way you kind of go well actually these guys were probably growing up during the formative years listening to like Dex's Midnight Runners. And and when you think about that, actually, when you when you think about, I don't know, Dex's Midnight Runners and uh, Supergrass and especially All Right, suddenly it all kind of falls into place. You go, all right, that makes sense. That kind of cheeky, chappy, street urchin sound. <laughs> Make you go, well, God, that's... Yeah. Bossy. That, yeah, that's why it was. Yeah. They were just aping that. But yeah, maybe... maybe no, I get, I get that. It, but that's that for me. I get that. So what 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 about now? Do you think it's aged well? I I personally don't think it's that bad. I think because it's not so much because it isn't that zeitgeisty. It it's not necessarily timeless, but it's not of its time as much as um, modern life is rubbish or um, definitely maybe is. You know these these are ones that spoke very much about a very particular class or per area or demographic. And I don't think Supergrass have ever gone out of their way to be, we are the voice of the people. We are the voice of the Northern people. We are the voice of the educated middle classes. Um, I, I don't think that's what it is. You know, the no. lyrics and the songwriting is a bit wider. It, it's less... Pointed. No, I get that. I I agree. I I agree with everything you said there, basically. But I I uh, apart from I'm I'm probably going to be a bit more negative about it. I think a lot of it hasn't aged that well. Um, the standout tracks on there for me have sort of caught by the fours. All right, some of it just feels a bit dated, and it's yeah. I I think it's very much a an album of. I, th- I think it's clear that it's 25 years old. I think if you compare it to other other songs, other singles from their repertoire, when you look at 99 Supergrass, which opens with Moving, Moving's mm. timeless. Oh, it's it's 21 years old, and it could be released today. When you look at Sun Hits the Sky or Richard yeah. III, they, again, Richard III mm-hmm. could have been released as a post-punk track in, like, 81. It could have been released now. It's again they're they're a bit more timeless. It's I agree with what you're saying, but at the same time maybe they were kind of limited in their own songwriting ability at that point. And they'd not just been given mm-hmm. the freedom artistically and financially to explore how they wanted the sound to be. Mm. You speak about financially there. I, I one of my favourite facts that I discovered was uh, that it cost less to record this album than it did to make the video for All Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's just a bed on Canberra Sands or wherever. Uh, <laughs> what did they do? Buy the bed? Well, that's what... Well, if, we, if Wikipedia is to be believed and anyway... the internet never lies. The font of knowledge. Yeah. And the internet never yeah. lies. Never, ever <laughs> lies. Okay. Fab. We got anything else to say on the tracks? Because um, if not... We're going to go into an interview. The last thing I would say is I don't think that they should have ended uh, on the track that they did. I think that they should have ended on Sofa of Lethargy. 
and had time to go as the um, second to last track. Because I think even though it's a bit too long, it fades out better and feels like a more natural closer. That time, that time to go feels yeah. like a bit of a, I don't know, a second thought. Oh, it's time, we need to add something on the end as a kind of a, a I don't know, an epilogue when it wasn't, ne- it wasn't necessarily required. I feel like they should have just scrapped it in general. Yeah. Like, it's just such a nothing track. Yeah. Why even put it on there? I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. I I think Sofa would be a fantastic end to an album. Yeah, I get what you're saying about not having time to go on there at all. It, it seems like it was literally written because they went, you can't have an album that's below 40 minutes. It's kind of like, you know when you go see a kid's play and like <laughs> the actors are like, right, we're off now, we're going. That's kind of what that song's like. And you're like, all right, <laughs> okay, fine. You didn't need to tell me that. I have never seen a play like that, but I want to, I love the idea of like children's Shakespeare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. No, yeah, I get that completely. (laughs) Yeah, see you later. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, well, that's uh, that's what we're going to go now. We're going to be off for a little while because uh, we've got an interview coming up. Tell us about that, Paul. Okay, so um, I spoke with Ronan from Night Shift magazine. Um, Ronan's been uh, producing Night Shift magazine for God knows how many years now. And he's the font of all musical knowledge in Oxford. If he doesn't write about it, it's not worth knowing. So I spoke to him about the Oxford music scene in the 90s um, and and how it developed. Ronan Munro, thank you very much for joining us on Remember the First Time. Um, it's great to have you on. You are the editor and the creator of Night Shift magazine. Um, tell us a little bit about Night Shift, uh, where it came from, and what inspired you to create this magazine. Uh, the magazine is a monthly free music paper just covering everything that goes on in Oxfordshire. Um, I started it in March 1991, originally under the name Curfew, uh, with the idea of just helping local bands get that first step up on the ladder so they can get some notice outside of town because pre-internet which it was uh, it was very hard for any band to get attention in the press unless they moved to london yeah do you find that still the situation now or is it is have cha- times changed with obviously the accessibility of the internet uh, everything's changed the world is so different i mean there's no centralized music media like there used to be i mean enemy or the shell of it mm. exists but it doesn't seem to be anything that supports grassroots music anymore like it used to. I mean, before we had Enemy Sounds and Melody Maker at the John Peel show. And, you know, a, a very good network of fanzines, but it was still, you know, you had to be noticed. It, was, it wasn't easy to get noticed if you were a sort of a regional band. So how did you go about noticing bands? What was it that you were looking for and who were the bands that stood out to you? Uh, I've always, since, since I was ever able to, just gone out to gigs, you know, taking a chance on things and um, you know just thinking that band's great why aren't they getting reviews in the NME why can't they get out of Oxford 
Um, so it was just always driven by wanting bands that I liked to get more attention. But I suppose in another way, you know, I'm lucky. I go to so many gigs, you, you're going to see those great bands early on. And, and that's what I've always tried to encourage people to do, is just go out, see the bands before they're famous. Um, and then you can say that you were there, you were, you know. I mean, I wouldn't have a claim that I discovered any of those bands. You know, it was nice to be able to give them all their first reviews and their first interviews and stuff. But um, does anyone really discover a band? You know, people just become aware of stuff, don't they? And, you know, and the bands have worked hard and, and are lucky. You know, you've got to have luck as well as hard work and talent. Um, they're the ones who, who make it. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, you know, the ones that have made it from... Uh, Oxford. It seems as though in the 90s there was a bit of a scene that really was uh, isolated from London. It was it wasn't that Manchester scene. It wasn't that kind of faux Cockney scene of Blur and a few other bands down in London. It seemed like it really was its own thing. Do you, is that true, or am I am I looking for sort of confirmation bias there? Yeah, I mean there was a good scene. There was a good supportive scene, but I think the difference was there was no sound. You know, we had Ride, who were, but Tallulah Gosh were probably the first Oxford band who really made it out but ride with a big band who first had a big success and then after that you got radios and supergrass very close together mm. but they're all very different sounds bands i mean i suppose if boxer does tend to produce more indie stuff and probably bands that are slightly more cerebral whether that's anything to do with the university i don't know i mean none of those bands were well no toledo gosh were a, were a university band no, no. If my memory serves right, Supergrass for, were for the most part working in a harvester. So it's not necessarily the polar opposite of being at university, but certainly not the university elite <laughs> that, that you might expect. And I, if I, am I right in thinking that you started Curfew off the back of um, touring with Ride, selling selling merch? Is that correct for them? Yeah. Well, I was. Um I used to work in the same branch of our price as Steve Farrell and was good friends with him mm -hmm. and Dave Newton who was Rise manager and sort of got to know the band and then when they went off on their first sort of major UK tour it sort of got me along to sell t-shirts because I was out of work at the time. Um, yeah, that was, a, that was a great adventure. God, I can imagine, yeah. And, and, you and when I came back, um, you know, I didn't have the job and just sort of started the magazine as something to do until I got a job and nearly 30 years later here I still am. Incredible, yeah. Make your own, make your own legacy, I suppose. Yeah, we're well, just trying to keep, you know. So, someone said that the magazine was the glue that held every all the bits of the local scene together, and I suppose it's sort of it's the fo it's a focal point. You know, it sort of allows different strands of the local scene, the venues, bands, studios, all the other little things which feed into it, all to sort of connect. It does feel as though there's always been, from my knowledge of. Oxford and the Oxford music scene has always been a really strong DIY ethos with Truck Records then becoming Truck Festival and you know the Truck Records store still going as well. It seems that and that's how I discovered a lot of bands from the Oxfordshire music scene in uh, in my uh, younger years and it's how I ended up being in Oxford several times. Truck Festival basically started off as a, as a birthday party in a field. Mm. Um, Robin Bennett and, and grew from there. I mean it really was you know, some bands on a truck yeah, yeah. in the field that the friendly local farmer allowed them. And this is a long time before there were so many festivals. It was quite an unusual thing. Yeah. It was almost a bit of sort of the godfather of, of, of mini festivals. Yeah. It's... You know, the DIY thing is you know, really important, particularly because we've lost so many venues, so many grassroots venues mm. over the years. You know, we lost Stella last year. Mm. Um, 
but there are the little indie promoters just finding rooms, um, and you know, just where you can stick a PA system in and sell a few beers and get people in to see bands. When you talk about these small independent venues, I, I, am I right in thinking that one of the venues, um, the Hollybush Inn, is where Supergrass played one of their sort of monumental, uh, formative gigs, and, and you were there for it? Is that right? I was, and it was the New Biles headlining Supergrass and a, and a band called Skydrive, who were like a hardcore band. Yeah, it was the first time I think I saw them as Supergrass. I've seen them a few times as the Genitors. Um, but yeah, that was an explosive gig. I mean, you just watched them and thought, that is something really, really special. Yeah, and obviously they're celebrating 25 years this week of I Should Coco be released, which is what we're covering on uh, this episode of the podcast. For you, what was it that you say that there was something special about them? What was it that marked them out from some of the other bands? Well, we've had them on the front cover as the Genesis, I think third or fourth issue of Curfew. And, you know, they were good bands, you know, quite sort of breezy indie stuff. And, you know, they were, they were good. They were very, very good bands. Mm. And, but Supergrass were just several levels above. You, know, you just watched them and thought, the energy and just brilliant songs and straight away there was nothing you had to sort of search for it was just there and it was all ready and it was you know it was just an absolutely fantastic gig and you know quite a revelation really yeah i'd remember them these little sort of 15 year old hanging around the car park in the jericho tavern um and there they were you know just almost a fully formed perfect pop band yeah what i always respected and still respect about supergrass is a lot of bands may talk about their influences and then try and say well we're trying to sort of be influenced by them but not wear our hearts on the string our, our hearts on our string when it comes to who we want to sound like at supergrass at times go this you know we love the buzzcocks we love the undertones we don't care if right now we sound a little bit like we're aping them wholeheartedly because we love them that much it, it, it seems like they are they are and we're always producing music just because they love the music, not necessarily because they want to be a band, in inverted commas. Yeah, I suppose because they were hanging around the Jericho Tavern when they were so young and they were mixing with older musicians and stuff, they were probably feeding off a lot of influences from above. You know, mm. I got into music through my older sister, and I think if you're that steeped in music from a very early age, you can really dig a lot deeper into music's past to, to create your own sound. I mean, Bowie was a big influence. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bowie, Mark Bowen, you hear that, that glam sound so clearly in some of the early singles. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And then mixed up with that, you know, just sugar rush of punk. And when they reformed as well, there was such a desire for them as well. It, a lot of people, I think, under were a bit dismissive of them at times, but then when they said that they were going to reform last year, there was so much outpouring of love for them. I think... For me, it reminded me just how much of a of a love I had for the band. Yeah, I mean, they're very, I mean, Oxford really celebrates its heroes. We, they never get put on a pedestal. They they can still go into the local shop, they can go to the local pub, and no one bothers them. But mm. really, you know, Oxford enjoys having pride in the bands that, that have, have made it out of the city. We did, um, just as a bit of fun, um, when sort of lockdown started, I did a um, an Oxford Music World Cup. <laughs> uh, on the Facebook page, and you know, just everyone could vote for their favourite song, a bit of a knockout tournament, and caught by the first one, you know, beat Radiohead in the final, <laughs> and shows that the enduring love for that record. I think probably cities which haven't had sort of London or Manchester's sort of or Liverpool scene, mm. sort of um, maybe a slightly less pretentious sort of attitude to their own music. Do you think that 
Do you think that... Not quite so on such a pedestal. Do you think that isolation that they might have breeds more creativity? That's my. That's always been my opinion, but what, what about yourself? Yeah, I think any scene where they're not trying to please, you know, the industry, I think is always going to be more creative, more interesting. Mm, agree, agree completely. And then, given obviously the current climate where so many people are in isolation, do you think that's going to create more creative? well, going to force more creativity in the music output? Yeah, I mean, obviously all of this is going to affect different people in, in different ways, whether you're going to get a lot of very hopeful music or some very introspective music going forward. Yeah. But yeah, I think it will be interesting to see where we are six months down the line where when we still haven't got any live gigs, will people still have that energy to be doing these online things or will we have moved up to another level? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I suppose at the moment... Um that is what it is, but I think what's exciting is that, I, am I right in thinking that all your uh, Night Shift magazines, every previous issue, is still available online for people to go back and, and read through in an archive? Uh, it's online going back to 2005, but there are some missing issues because we had some hosting problems which you can never really replace. <laughs> we should do them. Maybe it's something I should do with um, my spare time now. But yeah, you can go back to 2005, or you could go down to the Bodleian Library. I think they... Um, have every single issue going back to 1991. Incredible. And, and what's the website so people can have a look at that and have a look at it? It's nightshiftmag.co.uk. Nightshiftmag.co.uk. Well, I know I've, I was using your site for a little bit of research for the podcast episode, and I'm sure lots of people find it incredibly interesting to go and have a look at some of the previous issues and discover some of the bands that maybe have changed names or have developed into who they are now and go, oh, God, I didn't realise that was, that was them then. Yeah, I seem to have a sort of rather encyclopedia memory for such things, but actually no useful life skills at the moment. <laughs> well, that, that's brilliant, Ronan. I really appreciate you chatting to us today. Um, it, to be on. Thanks. it was great to hear about your experiences of uh, of the music scene in the 90s, and, and Oxford really is such a unique place for music. Like like you've said, and, and it really does ring true, there, there is no consistency other than the inconsistency in the scene, the fact that everyone's doing their own thing and there's no kind of, there's no desire to try and be, be a particular sound. And I think that's always more exciting than everyone trying to do one particular genre. Yeah, but and as I have always say is, you know, scenes don't just happen, but it's a lot of people's hard work and the only way they can survive is if people go out to gigs and support them and take a chance on that band you've never heard of because they could be the next Supergrass. Exactly. Yeah, and when, when things do eventually come back to normal, we'll make sure that we are going out and we are seeing live gigs and we are buying music. Absolutely. Brilliant. Well, Ronan, thank you so much for chatting with us. Um, I have no doubt we'll probably be back in touch when we have a look at one of the uh, Radiohead albums in the future. I look forward to it. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Right, cheers. Cheers, thanks.
Welcome back. Well, we're revisiting Ashokoko by Supergrass. It's 1995. It's 25 years since Supergrass's debut album was released. One, two, three, four, five singles on there. Caught by the Fuzz, Lose It, Man Size Rooster, Lenny, and All Right. Were they the right singles, though? I am going to say yes. Uh, I'm going to say no, just for the fact that no album should ever have five Ooh. singles off of it. It's just too many. Actually, I agree with that. I agree with you there. I think it's greedy. <laughs> it's the 90s, though. Okay, which, which... five singles on it. There's no need. It's unnecessary. I know. I know. Which one, which one would you lose? Although I really like it as a track, I would lose it. <laughs> yeah, probably lose it as well. I mean, you have to release all right. Um by you the have, to, you have release. to release Caught by the Fords, definitely. Uh, but yeah, Lose It's probably like the worst out of those, I guess. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. It's not, it's just not even though strongest. it's a great it's track. Not the worst, it's just not the strongest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. it's not, it's not, yeah. it's not yeah. the weakest song on the album, but it's probably the weakest out of all the yeah. potential singles. Yeah. And the fact that they, they went, yeah. where do they, they, they release it second as well. Mm. Nah. Yeah, it blows my mind that All Right was that fifth single. You're like, wow, if they, if imagine if they hadn't released that as a single, if they hadn't got that out there. I know, it's a bit insane. It'd just be just, madness. Yeah, as soon as you hear it, you go, well, that's the lead single. That, that's it, that's yeah, the one. Nothing, nothing is getting released before this. It's just a bit bonkers that they didn't consider that. Yeah, fifth, fifth. <laughs> Even if they brought it out second and go, actually... Caught by the Fuzz is a strong sing- single. Yeah. Um, but yeah, fifth. <laughs> Crazy. So I appreciate that I appreciate the Supercross have a love hate relationship with that single. But not then. No. <laughs> it's their first single. It should be. But it's on their first album. They're not gonna have a love hate relationship with it by then, surely. It's crazy. But yeah, I don't know. It was uh it was the nineties. It's what they did. <laughs> you can't just respond to everything, Mark. With it was the nineties. <laughs> Ask me a question, no. Paul. <laughs> oh, you're too busy being in the nineties. Yeah. Yeah. So they were the uh, were were they were good singles, but maybe one yeah. too many. But how how was the album received? It, it, it was received pretty damn well. Tell me, uh, Paul. Enemy gave it nine out of ten. The Guardian gave it five out of five. Strong. Yeah, Mojo gave it five out of five. Rolling Stone gave it three and a half out of five, which probably in hindsight is the right score. Yeah. I would say eight out of ten, three mm. and a half to four out of five. Yeah, I'm giving it. I'm giving it four out of five. I'd say yeah. I still think it. I, on its own in isolation, yeah. But then when you start comparing it to other albums that came out that year, and you go five out of five. You're right, Guardian. <laughs> like, we all like Supergrass, but five out of five, insane. Um, yeah, yeah. Overwhelmingly positive, but maybe too positive. Yeah. Did they have yeah. slow album? I'm, I'm with you. Four, four out of five for me. <laughs> maybe they did. Yeah. It's maybe it was a late Easter. Maybe it was. Maybe they were. They had too much trouble. <laughs> yeah. They were too high for yeah. like five. Exactly. There we go. Yeah. Done. 
It's the narrative. Yeah, they, so, <laughs> someone enjoyed... Someone enjoyed... <laughs> someone enjoyed the early Maybank holiday. <laughs> How did it do? So it was received well. So it, it was received well. Great reviews, but how did how did it perform? Well, they went to number one in the charts in the UK. Uh, a million sales worldwide, five hundred thousand in the UK, which isn't too bad, really. Pretty well, then. Yeah, pretty good. Is that still ongoing? I would say right? that is. Uh, I don't know. I'm not the stats man. Yeah, I would say that is uh, pretty well. A million sales for your uh, debut album. You can't uh, can't complain at that one, can you? Yeah, it's not too bad. Yeah, what was the record label it was on? I want to say Parlophone. I can't actually tell you from there. I think it's Parlophone because I think it was the best, is either the fastest selling or the biggest selling debut album since the Beatles. Yes, it was. It was Parlophone. Which is bonkers. Yeah, it was. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? When you think of all the albums that are coming out at that time. Yeah. It's it's mad. But... uh, more importantly, where are we going to put it in the Remember the First Time charts? Now, if if you're an avid listener, then thanks for coming back after such a long break. Uh, then you will know that the current chart looks like this. In number one, we have Oasis. Definitely, maybe. Two, we have Pulp, His and Hers. Three, Massive Attack. Four, Manic Street Preachers. Five, Blur. Where are we going to put this? And they're all great episodes you should go back and listen to if you haven't listened before. But where are we going to put I Should Coco? Um, I think in fifth position. So after the Mannix, personally. So that's... Paul? Is that above the... So that would be... Above a, Blur. Yeah, above Blur. I, I'm going to agree... Just because, yeah, I'm going to agree because I think that that Blur album is just a bit too cliche. And this, this, I feel like this is a more energetic debut. And I know that, uh, sorry, a more energetic album because that's not their debut, obviously. Um, But yeah, I agree with that. I think fifth place. I am going to agree. Across the board, we are there in fifth place. I am quite surprised because before we did these episodes, it would have, for me, been sitting right up there just after Pulp, I think. But having listened to um, Protection a hell of a lot last the end of last summer and Mannix even more so, I just I love it. I fell in love with those albums and yeah for me I'm with you guys we're all in agreement there it's coming in at number five well done Supergrass I should Coco straight in at number five well done <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure they'll be in touch that, they will be they will be I can't wait for them to 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 realise what they've done straight into the top five <laughs> scrap everything in. Um, so that's <laughs> so that's that's what we think to it. What did the people think? Well, have we uh, have we had any uh, reader input? We've had plenty of reader input, which is very good. Thank you, everybody, for actually looking at our Twitter page and continuing to follow us, and therefore <laughs> reply to things as well. That's very nice. Um, I'll start with the smallest and work up to the biggest story. I think that's a good way to do it. Why not? Um, so the first one is from Brooklyn Box. Um, and they said that Supergrass and this album 
one of their favourite bands and one of their favourite albums. It sounds like being young. I get that completely. That a lot of the album feels like it was written by teenagers literally learning how to be how to navigate life. Especially especially all right, which as I say is written by thirteen and fourteen year olds. Okay. Um the next one is from Love Gelbit, um, who said, My wife and I started dating in nineteen ninety seven. She was a huge Britpop fan. I wasn't very much at all. And I definitely remember that this album was one of those first ones that she really got me into. I loved this right away. I'm also a drummer and listening to Danny's playing on this made a concept click for me that I've found so helpful and exciting. And think about all the time when I'm playing. His drumming always has an underlying pulse of 16th notes running through it. Even when he's playing something straightforward and simple, you can tell those 16th notes are running through his head all the time and they bubble up into his hands from time to time. It makes the fill supernatural and just makes everything push forward and gives it all the propulsive energy that I love about it. I agree with that totally. I love the drumming on it. Mark, I know you've said you love the drumming as well. I do. I do. I completely agree with that. It's just... It's just fun. And he's an underrated it's just, drummer. It, it's energetic. And yeah, and he looks like he's having the time of his life. Whenever you see him throughout Supergrass's career, throughout their whole stay with us, I don't know, what was it, about 14 years, something like that, 13 years, he always looked to be having an absolute ball, <laughs> Danny Goffrey did. Okay, last one. And this one's a pretty like a pretty personal and deep one. I quite like this. It's a journey. Strap in, Mark. <laughs> yeah, strap yourselves in, guys. Oh, oh. <laughs> so Clarence on Instagram. Supergrass tale. Well, I was dating this girl at uni. We decided to call it a day. At a party, she was smashed and then threw up all over her best friend's coat. Rather than replace the coat, she got her tickets to see Supergrass at Nottingham's Rock City in 96. I was also attending this gig. Great venue. The gig was insane. Like, actually insane. I've had the privilege of seeing some pretty heavy bands in my time, but this crowd just went off. Anyways, at some point, I ended up next to my ex's best mate. Drunkenly, we kissed, and 10 years later, we got married. Another 14 years later, we were getting a divorce, but hey-ho, still great memories of seeing them. (laughs) (laughs) Wowzers. It takes you left. You're in front of a tree. You're in a bunker. <laughs> You're looking out of a pond of ducks. What's happening? <laughs> Thanks, Clarence, for sharing that. <laughs> Clarence, mate, the emotional journey that I went on reading that the first time. <laughs> I can't get over that. What a story. But I think the thing that you the thing that you learn about the the communications from fans is that it's never about it's never about like oh it makes me it, it was about like you know rocking out or it was about the class you know with with manic fans it was about how it helped them learn to discover politics with oasis fans it about it was about like a sense of almost like i don't know um animalistic feelings and emotion with supergrass it's just about fun it's always like fun mm. and i like that it really is they're not trying to be anything else they're not trying to Say hey, look at us. They're just gonna say hey, we're here to have a good time. They're not Join us. the wheel, but they're putting them cool little things on the wheel that go clack 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 when they go around. <laughs> yeah, them things that you got in Frosties when we were yeah, kids. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little reflective. You know, back when Frosties used to, when when Frosties used to be good for you. <laughs> the, 
Yeah. You know what? It, it, it was the 90s. But everything was healthy. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, thank you. Thank you for getting in touch, guys. Um, please keep your thoughts coming. You listen to this pod, you want to tell us a story? Do so. How can they do that, Paul? So they can get in touch with us on the socials. Our Instagram and our Twitter are RTF Time. That's at RTF Time. Um, they can send us an email at do you at remember the first time dot com. Um, or, you know, you can give us a follow, as I say, on all the social channels. Or just, you know, I think you can find us on Reddit somewhere as well. I'm on Reddit as remember the first time if you want to send us a message. Or you can subscribe as well by going to the website and subscribing where you get to know about his latest episodes and anything else that we might want to send your way. Fantastic. Do that. Do that now. Right, it's time for the quiz now. I know how, I know how much you two enjoyed higher or lower last time we played it. So we're playing it again, higher or lower. But we're not going chart positions this time. We're going higher or lower in length, as in length of tracks on Supergrass's <laughs> I Should Coco. I was wondering what you were just going to do. Oh, <laughs> right. Yes, you've both got you've both got one life each, so you can get one incorrect. Oh, I'm gonna right. okay. I'm gonna alternate. I'm gonna give you I'm gonna give you a track and you have to tell me whether it is higher, longer or shorter, but I'm gonna keep on saying higher or lower. Okay. So I'm gonna start with a nice easy one to begin with, and I'm gonna go to Charlotte first. Okay. We're starting on time to go, and that is one minute fifty six time to go is. Mm-hmm. So we are gonna go to sofa of my lethargy. Well, it's definitely longer. Is it higher or lower? Longer, which is higher. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So I, I had to make it easier because it makes this one easy for Paul as well. Next, from sofa of my lethargy to caught by the fuzz. Lower. Correct. Correct. Next, we're going from. Charlotte, caught by the fuzz, we're going to... All right. Ooh. Caught by the fuzz was 2 minutes 16, by the way. I think higher. Correct. All right, it's 3 minutes and 1. Paul, you're so loose, but she's so loose. Higher or lower than all right at 3 minutes and 1. She's so loose. Um, I'm going to... Oh, God. Um... Higher. Oh, incorrect. No. That's your life gone. So, so you're on. She's so loose was two minutes fifty nine. Oh, for God's sake! <laughs> two seconds lower. Uh, ah, uh, yeah. Right, and Charlotte on, on on the actual original recording, which had a load of dead air at the end of it. It's actually three minutes and three. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Charlotte, we're going from she's so loose at two minutes fifty nine. Into I'd like to know. Ooh, uh, get it wrong, get it wrong, get it wrong, get it wrong. <laughs> I oh, I know this one's definitely higher because it's the first track and it's quite long. <laughs> correct, correct. It's four minutes and two. Unnecessary. 
Okay, next. Paul, yeah. we're going from, I'd like to know, at four minutes and two, into Strange Ones. Strange Ones, right. Strange Ones. I'm trying to remember what track number that one is. Seven. Seven. Number seven, straight after I'm Leonard. saying shorter, lower. Oh, incorrect. You've lost another <laughs> life. However, Boo. Boo however, oh no, Charlotte hasn't lost any life. Yeah. She's won. She's won. I was going to say, but she's won. Charlotte wins this month's quiz. Yay, well, this episode's me. quiz, should I say? Boo. Well done, Charlotte. Um, I can't remember how we were doing points wise, so we'll just say well done on that Look, point. We know for a fact that I'm at the bottom, so there we go. <laughs> I think Charlotte's yeah. at the top. Yeah. Easy. Okay, okay, that's the quiz. So coming up, we have what's next on our agenda? It is the Remember the First Time. Playlist. It is. Yes. I've got an absolutely banging track. Okay, well, so the uh, Remember the First Time podcast playlist, we need to choose a track from... First of all, we need to choose a track from the album to add to the playlist. Anyone got any favourite? I personally would like to put forward Time. I think it's a great track. I can get with that. And I think... I can get with that. I think it kind of shows the supergrass that they could have been or that they went on to become. Do you know what? I can live with it. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think. Yeah, I, I personally, I, I, for me, for me, I was gonna say let's go all right because it's just it is super grass that track, and it's just you hear it today, and it's just a wonderful track, and I enjoy it so much still. But yeah, I can get behind time one hundred percent. Yeah, I can live with that. I think that's a good. Yeah, that's a good shout, Charlotte. We'll get that added to the Remember the First Time podcast playlist. Fantastic. And uh, what are you choosing individually? I'm going to choose the new track from Jarv is, which is Jarvis Cocker, if you don't, if you didn't already put that yes. one together. I do know it, yeah. House Music All Night Long, oh. which is an absolutely <laughs> brilliant track that I just cannot stop listening to. It's so, so good. It is so good. <laughs> it's so good, that tune. I am I am with you on that. Until is, yeah. until I heard the song I'm, I'm going to mention, I I w- it was definitely my most played track. Now it's it's about my second most played track, just because of what I'm going to mention next. Um, but I, yeah, I'm with you. I love that. Absolutely love it. Go on then, Mark. Your track. My track is Gorillas featuring Peter Hook and Georgia Aries. Mm. Oh my word! What a tune! I what that a one. tune that is. Have it! Oh my God! You need to listen to it now. <laughs> well, I'm sure you'll listen. I'm sure you will listen as you put it onto the playlist. I like and honestly, I like Hooky and I like Georgia. I think she makes really good, clever electro pop. So yeah, she does. She really does. And honestly, th- that bass line—it sounds like Peter Hook is breathing it out. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We will have a li- well. I will have a listen. I'm sure we all will. What are you going to choose, Paul? Uh, so I am going to choose. 
um, a track called Presenteeism by a band who are also from the wrong side of the Pennines as Hooky. Um, they're from Lancashire. Uh, they're called Public Body, and as I say, the track's called Presenteeism, and it's a real post-punk driving track that I've... It's not super new. Um, it's been around a couple of months by them, but they're, they're not massive, and I really like it, and I want more people to hear it. Fantastic. I've never heard of them. I've never heard the track, but I will be sure to listen. How can I hear it on the playlist, Paul? How can you hear it? Well, we'll, uh, we'll add the songs to the playlist, and then people can go on Spotify and search for Remember the First Time Podcast playlist. Um, and we'll also tweet out and put on Instagram the playlist with links for everyone so that they can listen and they can also follow the playlist if they'd like to. Fantastic. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. Any more for any more? I don't think so, mate. I suppose the next thing is just to find out what we're doing next. I think that's a good idea. What are we doing next? I've got to sneak a suspicion. You might know. <laughs> I'd be worried if I didn't know. I believe we're doing the Chemical Brothers. Certainly are. June 1995, that was released. Yeah. So we'll be bringing it out around the release date. Couldn't tell you what the release date was off the top of my head, actually. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I haven't got it written down in front of me, but I know it was in June. <laughs> yeah, so it's... um. So get ready for that one. It's Is it Exit Planet Dust or Dig Your Own Hole that we're doing, Mark? It's Exit Planet Dust. Yes. Which, you know... So get ready for that one. I guess we're the planet of dust. (laughs) Yes. And we're going to exit it, definitely. Definitely. Great. That's all from me, then. What about you guys? That's all from me. Uh, I'm going to go whittle some spoons. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us here on Remember the First Time. The ending note this note this time comes from Gaz Coombs on All Right. He said it wasn't written as an anthem. It isn't supposed to be a rally cry for our generation. The stuff about we are young, we run green isn't about being 19, but really 13 or 14 and just discovering girls and drinking. It's meant to be lighthearted and a bit of a laugh. Not at all a rebellious call to arms. Thank you, Gaz Coombs. Thank you, Supergrass. Thank you to you guys for listening. We've been Remember the First Time. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.